Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. We're coming to you from the studios of the Coming Home Network International. Joined today by my my oldest son, John Mark. Hello, John Mark. Hey, Dad. How's it going? How are the cows down there? Oh. <laughs> just fine. Just fine. I think. I think. Uh, got a new one or more than one? We got a new two. We, okay. we had uh, one uh, big uh, polled Hereford bull. Mm-hmm. By himself, we call him Curly because he's got curly yeah. white head, and he was by himself. Every once in a while, we hear him. Um, he does this honking sound. I don't know how to describe it. He he kind of uh, builds himself up, and then he goes hon hon, and it gets really really loud. You could hear it echo throughout the valley, and uh, and I've always wondered what is he saying? You know, what is he saying? And it, and, and in fact, the other night. Um, our, my two other sons and I, we, we've seen that video on the internet, you know, where the guy goes out with the trombone. Yeah. And I hope everybody's seen that because it's a funny video. A, a man goes yeah. out with a trombone and there's a whole field of cows way off in the distance and he starts playing a couple tunes. And uh, pretty soon the cows all come to him to to respond to that. So we decided we'd try it the other night. So we got in my Kawasaki mule and, and Peter and Richard were in the front seat driving. I was standing on the back with my trumpet. And we, we drove out to the field and looked for Curly, and we found him. He was overgrazing, and so we parked about 30 yards away, and I started playing Here Come Owen the Saints, and I can't remember. And it took him a while. He looked up, and he wondered, and he wondered. And uh, so I wondered if he'd come to me. Well, he eventually kind of turned, looked at me, lifted his tail, and then deposited on the ground what cows often deposit. And then with a shake of his head, he just left. So um, he was just wrecking, wondering, what are these stupid humans doing? Some but people just don't appreciate art. I mean, that's... I, I, I have a feeling the cow appreciates art a whole lot more than me. And he just realized the level of quality of what we were doing. Anyway, so we decided that what he was honking and mooing about was that he was lonely. So yesterday morning, I drove back towards Steubenville, visited with a family, that mutual friends that have a farm, and I brought Curly, two girlfriends, to graze with him. And uh, so now they're doing the honking. I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but I, uh, I'm studying cow language to know. <laughs> anyway, uh, for those of you listening, that kind of sidetrack onto uh, farming uh, in some ways connects with, I'm thinking a little bit what we're going to do deep in scripture today. Uh, I suppose what we're doing now, those of you who are regular listeners, thank you for that. Uh, We're kind of doing a father and son episodes of deep in scripture because I'm inviting John Mark to join me some reflections on some scriptures. And uh, in fact, I was going to ask you, John Mark, when we do these, how do you decide what scripture you want to do when we gather? Yeah, well, I... (laughs) <laughs> my scripture study uh, consists mostly of following the liturgical life of the church. And so I pray the liturgy of the hours morning and most evenings, the family does, we read the gospel, uh, the church's gospel of the day or the, the selection from the mass yep. uh, during our breakfast. And then we do night prayer from the breviary in the evening. And so we've got selections from scripture throughout the day that connect with the church's liturgical life. So that, I tended to let that lead my scripture study. And so then usually when I'm picking something, I'm thinking back, okay, 
what are the what are the gospels that have been coming up lately in the mass readings? What are some of my favorite psalms that are coming up in the liturgy of the hours? And usually that ends up being one of the things I I pick. All right. Well, in case you were wondering, audience, we don't follow any liturgical schedule in our deep in scriptures. It's more what is the topic that's come to our mind at a given week as we're thinking of doing this. And I posed to John Mark a question this morning as we were thinking, and it was what first of all, let's think let, let's let's bring together some simple scriptures. Mm-hmm. But what are some maybe the simplest scripture we can think of that describes the essence of how we understand the church? I think that's the question I posed to you, John Mark. And the reason that question came to my thinking was because of the time that we're going through now, what, we, what are we, the third month of this shutdown in which the bishops not just of America or of our local state, but pretty much around the world, have have closed down the churches and the sacraments to millions of Catholics around the world. But not just Catholics, we also know that the governments have closed down churches around the world. So our separated brethren are experiencing the same thing. Um, I haven't been to actual mass since the end of February. Um, I know that they've just started to open, but I've not mm-hmm. been able, because of where we live, There's the church isn't open. I've watched it on TV, watched it on EWTN. Uh, you and I, we watched the local mass there in Toledo on TV. And I've been reading, as I think you have, uh, on the internet, a great... A uh, range of concerns and thoughts that laity and priests and bishops are having about cardinals are having about the effects of this time on people. I just read this morning an article by a cardinal who believes that this he, he's concerned that this separation from the mass uh, is going to affect the loss of people's appreciation of the, the sanctity, uh, the holiness, the sacrificial nature of, of the Mass. And there'll be people that say, hey, I, I kind of like sitting here in my lazy boy watching Mass on TV. Hey, that, that's pretty slick. Um, I can real quick trip to the bathroom or over the refrigerator and I don't have to mess with anybody else. I mean, this is, it's kind of like why most of us don't go to pay big bucks to go to football games anymore. We can sit there in a living room and watch it and get um, repeats. Mm-hmm. You can't in real life, you know. But uh, So the question is, will people return to the church, to the sacraments, to the Eucharist? Will they, will they lose that? And so that's why I thought, well, with all these different opinions on what's going to happen, maybe the question is, that's why I thought, what is the scripture that for you, John Mark, um, simply states for you what is important when we think of the church? And I, and I brought, I thought of one too. Mm-hmm. All right. So usually I go first. Do you want to go first this time or you want me to go first? 
What's your thought? Uh, you go. You go ahead and go first. Okay. I usually, <laughs> but I always get nervous because when I go first, I, I tend to wax way too eloquently and take too much time. But I'll try and be a little <laughs> more brief. But I thought about that. What what verse, given all the different opinions out there, and you know, uh, people. In fact, this cardinal particularly said uh, that people are are losing their sense of intimacy with God because they're separated from the mass. So, as I thought about what would my verse to bring, actually, <clears throat> it came fairly quickly to me. Um, and let me give you the background to it. It's, it's an interesting moment. It's a verse that we all know. Um, and in that sense, maybe it's parallel with the Mass. In other words, it's a verse we all know and maybe take for granted. And it just goes by us. But yet I think to me, it really expresses all that's important in the church. And it comes in, it's in John chapter 14. And it, the context is, John doesn't give us the details of the Last Supper that we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then what we find in 1 Corinthians 11. But he gives a summary, if you will, of the teachings of Christ and the experience of Christ and his apostles on that last night. And chapter 14 begins after Judas has been dismissed. And after Judas is dismissed, John ends with that powerful phrase, and it was night. And theology has always taken it to mean the darkness has set in. And so Jesus is with the remainder, the leaven, in the upper room. And after Judas has left, that's when Jesus says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and in him God is glorified. So he talks a bit about that. He gives them the, the new commandment. And in that he says, um, Where I am going, you cannot come. Well, he, he drops that little bomb on him. And then Peter says, wait, 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 time out here, Jesus, time out. In verse 36, it's in, the, it's in the original Hebrew. Jesus says, time, I mean, Peter says, time out, time out, Jesus. And in 36, he says, Lord, where are you, where are you going? And the point is they don't quite get it yet. And Jesus answers, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I go to you now? You know, I'll lay down my life. And he said, no, you're not going to lay down your life for me. You're going to deny me. And then here's verse 14. And that's when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That in itself is a powerful verse mm -hmm. to really talk about. Imagine Jesus saying, you believe in God and you believe in me. What does that mean? I mean, there's in itself is one powerful one. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. Well, all of that answer to Peter, and they don't get any of it. And then I love it. Then there's verse 5, Thomas. And this is the doubting Thomas. And he says, it's almost like you want to say, here, if you had the, the volume turned up on this verse, Thomas is saying, Jesus, wait a second. We do not know where you are going. 
How can we know the way? And then we get to the verse that I want us to focus on. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. When I think about the verse that helps me understand what the church is, it's this verse. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. What is the church? That. Why do we want people to come to the church? That. We want them to know Christ. And the danger in the church is we can forget that. I think priests, cardinals, bishops can forget that. The beauty of this verse, I'm reminded of in the history of the church, in the, in the 5th and 6th century of the church, the church was really having problems. It had been freed to celebrate and gather by Constantine. It had been given lots of wealth. By the beginning of the 6th century, the Pope was the richest man in Italy, the biggest landowner in Italy, the most powerful person next to the emperor. And in the midst of that time, a man just realized that in the, not only in the midst of the world, but in the midst of the church, he couldn't find Christ. So he went out to a cave man by the name of Benedict. And in the midst of that, he simplified, cut through all the stuff to talk about what is the gospel, what is the church. And we see, if you think of Benedict, the image we have is humility. Even when Benedict was ahead of his monks and ahead of 12 monasteries in Subiaco, and then, of course, he goes to, um, um, oh, shoot, I can't think of the name of, of the place that he built, um, Casino, Mont Casino. Mm. He builds that, and he has all the stuff, and he's, yeah, everyone looks to him, but he, he always points to Jesus in his humility. And when he dies and his biography is written and a, and a bishop by the name of Gregory reads the story, he is so taken that he casts aside all of the luxuries of his office as Bishop of Rome, and takes the mantle of the Benedictines. And so that's why we call that Pope Gregory the Great, who was also the one that gave us the chants and gave us the simplicity of liturgy and worship, because it was about Jesus. And the danger for anyone in the position, whether it's priest, bishop, cardinal, or pope, 
is that we can get caught up in the idea is that the only way of the Father is through me as a priest, as a bishop, as a cardinal, as a pope. Or is the only way that laity can have Christ is this stuff. And we got to be careful there. There's this balance of humility. And maybe this time that we have helps us appreciate a both and. That the sacraments and the church and the liturgy and the mass and all of that are gifts of God. Why? For us to encounter Jesus. But we got to make sure that we don't get caught up in the idea that the only way to encounter Jesus is this possession of the episcopacy, if you will. The reason I said that is, to me, maybe the most significant book I've ever read as a Catholic is a book called Journey of the Mind to God by Bonaventure. And his approach to the intimacy of Jesus is not primarily when you go to Mass, it's when you stand in a woods and you see creation, you see the vestiges of God, you hear the birds. You can have, it reminds you is that whether you're in the church or whether you don't have the church, whether you have the sacraments or you don't have the sacraments, whether you have a priest or a bishop or a cardinal or a pope, or if you don't, the bottom line is no one gets to the Father but through Jesus. And, and there's that, that to me is the humility of Benedict, the hum, and that means St. Benedict, the humility of Gregory the Great, the humility of those of St. Francis. You know, on the Journey Home program, behind me I have the picture of the Vatican. To me, a better symbol of the church would be the image of St. Francis. The simplicity of living the gospel focused on Christ. Tim Mark. Well, uh, I like this a lot. Uh, you know, you, you're talking about, you know, this, this um, misidentification that can occur in the church with, you know, kind of placing the locus of the gospel too much on maybe the structures or the things that, or the people. You know, there's, there's been a lot of talk in recent years about the problem of clericalism, you know, and certainly that could come from a cleric, but it can also come from the laity themselves yeah. who, who look for things or people that they can place their, their, their practical living out of their faith in. But that, that, that faith has to be placed in Christ. And again, it, it is an interesting situation that we are in now. Obviously, it is a great tragedy and a misfortune that we, uh, a, a, a difficult time that we're going through that we, we can't receive the sacraments in the, the normal way that we do. Obviously, there's a lot of hardship and there are a lot more people out there going through greater hardship than, than we or our listeners. But on the other hand, you know, think of all the scriptures that you've been studying on Deep in Scripture the past months, so the ones that we've talked about together. Are we growing in contentment? You know, there is no situation we can be placed in in which we can be removed from God's hands, from his presence. There's no worldly, temporal disaster or set of circumstances that can separate us from the love of God. You know, the, the sacraments are a great gift, but if someone takes the sacraments away from us, they can't take us away from Christ. We still have him. Yeah. We're still, we're still Christians. We still have that relationship with Christ. And um, to experience a time where we're, we're unable to connect with those sacraments and to focus simply on the loss, I feel like is a great missed opportunity. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, when, when <laughs> I was going to say there's two extremes. Yeah. There's yeah. the one which is the more Catholic extreme, which is I can't have intimacy with Jesus. Right. Unless I'm in a, in a Catholic church, unless I'm in the presence of the Eucharist, unless I'm, and the, to the extreme where, well, now during this time, I've lost my intimacy with Christ. The other extreme is more the Protestant version is I don't need any of that. Right. I right. just can have Jesus out in the woods or I can have Jesus wherever, where at the golf course or wherever. You know, that's the flippant, the other extreme. Mm -hmm. But it's a both and. Mm -hmm. And I say to my separate brethren, those of us that we work with that are being drawn home to the church, because yeah, the value of the sacraments, mm -hmm. that the, the truth is, and I have to say this personally, I've never felt closer to Christ just because I became a Catholic. Mm. I've never felt closer to Christ just because I was in the sanctuary or because I was in the tabernacle or a, mm. by God's mercy and grace. I have, I believe, an intimacy with Christ that I've had for over 45 years by the mercy of his grace, not because I'm such a great spiritual guru. No, it's by his mercy and grace. And I've recognized the, and appreciate the intimacy, the, the unique intimacy that we have with Christ in, his, in the presence of the Eucharist. But I also know that by John 15 that he dwells in my heart through the indwelling of the Spirit that I received in baptism and confirmation and through reading of Scripture and through prayer and through, through confession and through that he's, mm -hmm. he's here, he's within me. Yeah. He's within you. There's an intimacy there. It's a both yeah. and. Yeah. Protestants emphasize more the one. Catholics mm -hmm. sometimes emphasize more and only the other sometimes. It's a both and. Yeah. One of the reasons, you know, we've always, we're very blessed in the Coming Home Network to work with people who work with Christians, baptized Christians yeah. who are being drawn home to the church. So many of them, their stories, their testimony is so inspiring because they came to know Christ first. You know, obviously, the divorce in the church, yeah. the the um, the schism, the 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 so-called Reformation is a great travesty, a great uh, a great wound in the body of Christ. But there there have been good fruits of God in God's providence that He's brought out of that. And one is them is that many Christians they, well, I guess on the flip side, many Catholics we know they grow up, they go through the system, and somehow they they miss the crucial point. They miss the relationship with Christ, and they have to they have to end up leaving. And then they discover Christ out there in an evangelical church. And then they're brought home because it finally clicked. So yeah. many of the evangelicals that come to us, they're not coming to us because they're missing, they're lacking a relationship with Christ. They know Christ. And because they've submitted their lives to him, now they're saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's the most that you want to give me? Because I want everything that you want to give me. You know, I, if you are the way, the truth and life, I want the whole way, all the truth, all the life that you want to give me. I don't want just my my uh, version of that, my conception of that, my comfort zone, I want all that you want to give me. And so that's why they become Catholic. And that's why, you know, it's such an honor for us to work with them because these are, these are people who are approaching the church having discovered, oh, Christ has more he wants to give to me and to the people of God. I want to be part of that. That phrase, you know, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What we try to do in the Coming Home Network, as a result of our own journey, mm. 
is we've come to understand more of what Jesus meant by me. Mm. Who is Jesus? And then we get into the mystical body of Christ. Mm. The church, to a certain extent, is Jesus. Right? When, Mm -hmm. when, When Paul responded to Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Paul didn't know he was, re- he was persecuting these Christians. Mm. Jesus says, no, 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 me. So no one comes to the Father but by me, in a sense. There is the church. It's not just this yeah. individual, but it's a both and. Yeah. It's, it's a both and. So maybe even the most important thing now during this time when we're not with the body of Christ is mm-hmm. to get to know the person of Jesus if we haven't. Mm-hmm. And one of the best ways to get to know the person is, uh, I mean, the classic phrase, the imitation of Christ. You know, Christ says, I am the way. Well, we imitate Christ. We take up his way of life, his way of praying, his way of relating to others. Um, and so there too, we discover another, another deepening of our understanding of who Christ is. Because once you begin to imitate him, you realize, oh, suffering takes on a whole different meaning. You know, uh, un- the, the Jews of the time who thought that Christ, the Messiah was going to come and conquer the Romans, that they had it wrong. They didn't understand what it would really mean to enter into the way with the Messiah uh, and to, to imitate him and to be joined to him and to love him. That way is something we all have to explore and we don't have to go out there to explore it. He's given us a life and a vocation. He gives us thousands of opportunities every day to take up our cross and follow him. You know, last was it last Sunday that we sat in your living room and watched the local mass, mm-hmm. uh, you and your family and, and Marilyn and, and myself. And, and uh, I don't know if your puppy Rosie was there with us, but with her, okay. <laughs> she was wandering around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they were gathered in the living room. We were watching mass from the parish in Toledo called Little Flower. Mm-hmm. And of course that's focused on St. Therese of Lisieux, who's a little flower. And the, the priest giving the homily quoted something by St. Therese, and I also remember that there's another famous woman, Catholic woman in the church that said the exact same thing, but it's ironic that they come from completely different perspectives of the church. St. Therese says, you know, uh, is you've got to see Jesus in the people you meet. You've got to recognize that. When you see, you meet someone, you always recognize Jesus in that person. Another person has said that is Dorothy Day. Yeah. So, you know, Dorothy Day and St. Therese are completely different in, in terms of their understanding, of the, but they both recognize the same thing. So one of the ways that we, as you're saying, John Mark, we grow in Christ and imitation of him involves seeing him mm-hmm. in other people. How do we treat Jesus Christ in the way we treat other people? Now we have a time rather than whimpering and moaning around, is do we see Jesus? Mm-hmm. That's really the, imp- the important thing. Because if you don't have Jesus now, mm-hmm. if you don't appreciate his intimacy now, yeah. I don't believe you're going to get him back just because you go into the Mass. Amen. It's a both and. All right, John Mark, what verse do you bring to the table today? 
Well, we were thinking along the same lines because my verses, you don't have to flip very far. It's on, in my book, just the very next page. It's the same discourse. Uh, again, I think we were thinking along the same lines. Same discourse that Christ is going through after the, after the Last Supper. Um, and obviously, so for me, the reason it came to mind is because these are coming up in the Mass a lot lately. The Mass has been going through these passages from John. But mine is uh, John uh, chapter 15, 5 through 11. And of course, it's, a, it's another very familiar one uh, yeah. to everyone listening. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So again, there's, there's a lot of sentiments that are expressed in many different ways throughout this long discourse. Um, you could have picked many of them, but uh, again, I think I was thinking along the same lines as you that for me, if I try to, to sum up, I think as, as you put the question to me this morning, what's, the, what's a, a verse that kind of expresses the, the essential aspect of our Catholic faith, what it means to be a Catholic, what's, what's really core and essential, this notion of abiding in Christ. And again, there's many verses we could go to to explore that, but um, to abide in Christ in the, the, the way we most are able to, uh, whatever situation that, that puts us in, you know, whether, it, whether you're one of the people that we're working with who is not yet a part of the church, you know, but they're asking God, you know, what, what more do you want from me and for me? Uh, who's looking on their way in or whether you're a Catholic right now, who's maybe for the first time separated from the sacraments. The point is wherever we are, we are members of the body of Christ and we're called to that intimacy. We're called to abide in Christ. Um, and it's only to the degree that we're, that we're abiding. And also that, so think of the notion of abiding too. It's very easy if we're trying to, th- we could, if we were thinking about what's essential to being Catholic, we could, we could pick an external something very visibly ostentatiously Catholic, or we could pick the sacraments themselves. But of course, the, the one danger with that is that are we, are we somehow in a subtle way relying on my action, my understanding, these things that I do, the church that I go to, the sacraments I go up to receive, when the real, the emphasis in all those things is that it's God coming to meet me, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes to me through those things. There's no, no merit of my own. I, something that I'm doing and something I deserve, but, but Christ has come to meet me and he's given us the gift of the church. He's given us the gift of the sacraments. He's given us the gift of, of his presence in the Holy Spirit in our hearts because of our baptism. And he's always present to us. And so no matter where we are, what time, what situation, what calamity is going on around us, we always have the option to choose to abide in Christ. And he'll, and he'll bless that and he, will, and he wants to give us the joy of that of that abiding, and also it's through that abiding that will bear much fruit. Again, ideally, we're all aiming to be saints. We're aiming to be fully submitted and conformed to Christ, availed of all the graces He wants to give us through the Church, and and we will abound 
we will be fruitful based on how, um, whether we do that. But the point is, whenever, as you were saying earlier, whenever we get focused on one of the, the, the trees, we miss the forest here. And the forest is that Christ is always present to us and we can always remain in him. Um, so we have to keep that focus on, again, just with both of your passage and, and, and mine here, it's the same thing that it's, it's about that intimacy with Christ and, and availing ourselves of, of whatever, um, all the ways that he wants to communicate himself to us. Yeah, really, the, the both end of it yeah. is really important. I, I've often said what separates a Protestant from a Catholic, and this is kind of a caricature, of course, but too often Protestants focus on either ors, which has led to so many divisions. And a good example of that is the Calvinist emphasis on the sovereignty of God when put next to the freedom of, of the will of man. How do you put those two together? Well, Protestants are divided over that to this day. Catholics recognize that there's a mystery of the both and. God is completely sovereign, but we also have complete freedom to respond. It's a both and. How does it happen? I don't know. Often that's why St. Paul and St. Irenaeus, both of them said, guys, don't get caught up in words. Keep yeah. it simple. Leave it alone. Yeah. You get caught up in words and look at look what it did to the first centuries of the church. People fighting at each other and had to have consuls to figure out this and that over one letter. Homoousius, homo, what? You know, I mean, they're at each other's throats. Don't get caught up in words. The simplicity of it, the both end, leave it there, the mystery of it. And I think to some of that, we talk about what's church. What does it mean to abide in Christ? I was thinking, I was talking to your brother recently, or Peter, who's going to be ordained a priest here in a couple of weeks, and we were out at the farm, and we've been spending a lot of time just listening to the birds at our end. And we were talking about, what about the people that normally only receive Mass once a year? There are people around the world today who at most can get to Mass once a year. And I made the comment that when I'm out here in my woods, where our house is, it's really a, a bird sanctuary, if you will, as well as a raccoon and squirrel sanctuary, but they're <laughs> all over the place and we got cows. And But when you follow through the, the, through the mind of St. Bonaventure, every day when you recognize the vestiges of God in the world around you, you're constantly reminded of God's love his steadfast love, his creative mercies, and all of that. And we're called to abide in that. But at least once a year, the church says, I want you to look upon the man that died for your sins. If anything, what does the Eucharist remind us of? Whenever you eat this bread and drink this blood, you proclaim his death until he comes again. The point of the Eucharist, the Mass, is to remind us of the sacrifice of Christ and to celebrate it again. I mean, of course that. Yeah. There's this, but, but it's the both and. Mm -hmm. It's remembering his love, our life, and seeing the vestiges. Every time, we, every time you look on, a, on your, one of your beautiful children, one of my grandkids, there mm -hmm. is an image. And then the, then the crucifix reminds us, oh yeah, and he died for us. Yeah, you know what you said earlier. This 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 notion of if if um, I find this very challenging. I feel like I'm going to go pray about this a bit. You know, if if you are not striving for and finding intimacy with Christ now during this 
this penitential fast we're experiencing as a church and as a world. Will you find him when you're able to return to the Eucharist? That's a real challenging question. And I feel like there's a, there's, there's an interest, there's a mystery kind of an arrow pointing both ways there. Maybe it's another application of the, you know, of the, of the principle and you can give the scripture, scripture reference of, you know, uh, um, to, to he who has more will be given to he who does not have what he has will be taken away. Um, if, if, if we, sh- if we show up with, with nothing, you know, um, what are we expecting to find there? If we don't have a desire for the Eucharist, if we don't have a desire for prayer now, we're not entering in, into intimacy with Christ now in our quiet moments, in our closet, in the crosses of our daily life, in those opportunities. What does that say about our, about our, our whether or not we'll encounter, really encounter Christ when we're able to go there? On the, on the flip side, you know, I love that, that notion too um, of when we, in some sense, the whole world is a, is a sacramental, a sacrament. It's a way that God comes to meet us. But when we go to mass, when we look at the, the crucifix, when we receive the Eucharist, it's like the world is re-sacramentalized. We remember why this whole world is redeemed. We remember why the whole world with all its brokenness and its sin remains the sacrament of our salvation. All the, all the, all the interruptions, all the, all the turmoil, all the things that come to us, all, the, all of our duties, all of our crosses, those are the means of our salvation because of Christ's sacrifice. You know, so I, I think, again, another both and here, whenever we're apart from the sacraments, whether it's from day to day or week to week, or whether it's a time like this where we are really separated in a way that may be very different from many of us, although it may not be different for other people in the world, we have to be finding Christ, intimacy with Christ now, so that when we go there, we will recognize him in the breaking of the bread, like the, the disciples on the way to Emmaus. On the flip side, when we return to mass, when we receive the Eucharist, that is the opportunity to be united with Christ in this special sacramental way, precisely so that we can go back out and see everything differently, see our opportunities, our crosses, as you said earlier, see every person recognize that's a person for whom Jesus died. Yeah. And I, I need to see Christ in that person too. Yeah, yeah, that verse that you mentioned, to him who has much, even more will be given, and to him who has Little, even what he has will be taken away or have not. It's one of those really complicated ones. Yeah. It comes right at the end of the parable of the talents. Right. The guy given five made ten more. The guy given whatever, you know. The guy only had one who buried it. Even that was taken away given to the guy. Had Why does this make sense? If you look at that verse in terms of physicality, stuff, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But if you bind it with the other verses, the other parables, where... The seeds were planted on all different kinds of soils. And in all those cases, they represent people who heard the gospel. But the only one that produced fruit was the one that understood. That's the difference. So in the other verse, the having, he who has, is not having a physicality, but it's, it's having. Christ, understanding a deeper. And if you have that, more will be given. But if you don't have that, even what you do have, you lose. So it it really is a deeper spiritual journey. So if you don't have Christ, Mm -hmm. 
and you think you're going to find him when I get back to Mass, mm -hmm. even what you have. When I'm older or when my kids move out or someday when I have more time to pray or my schedule's not so busy. Hey, my schedule's not very busy right now. My calendar has been cleared. I have no excuse not to enter into prayer. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> There's that other verse. Oh, that one in the Sermon on the Mount when it, Jesus says, even those who say, Lord, Lord, not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. And they say, but we did all kinds of things. I ran an apostolate. I had a TV show called The Journey Home. I did all this stuff. And Jesus says, but I didn't know you. I didn't know you. So we can't wait to know him once the church is open. We need to know him now. We need to know him now. So John Mark, do these verses fit together? <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. They really do. Uh, and I guess they both they both connect with the idea, I think really particularly your verse about what it means to abide in Christ. And it's not a one-time thing. Oh, I accepted him 50 years ago and was baptized and therefore, no, it's a, it's a daily walk, which involves daily examination of conscience, involves prayer as you... Talk about liturgy of the hours, what a great gift to the church. It involves loving. In the context of both of ours, right before my verse and right after your verse, Jesus both times talks about the new commandment. Both times. Yeah. It's when he repeats it, about loving. So, all right, John Mark, thanks a lot. Thank for you. For joining on yeah. Deep in Scripture. I appreciate this every time. Um, and uh, thank you for and hope to have you back next week too on the program and those of you joining us on this program I hope that you enjoy this series I hope you also find the other things that we offer in the coming home network an encouragement to you uh, and if you don't haven't very often go to chnetwork.org check out all the other resources we have there to help you on the journey so God bless thank you for joining us and we'll look forward to being with you again next week Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.